the lowest hanging fruit and the most cost effective thing to do is to save rainforest and restore those ecosystems. And that's the best thing we can do for climate change, the best thing we can do to help prevent pandemics. What we're trying to do is within the next 10 years, we've got climate change, the same issue, and save the orangutans and viable ecosystems. We've got 10 years to do that. to the Conservation Tribe. I'm your host, Blaine Edwards, aka Earth Offline. On this podcast, I talk with a range of conservationists every single week, from scientists, students, creatives, innovators, and everyone in between. I hope this can be a platform for conservationists to share their story, educate, collaborate, and ultimately inspire action. So if you want to join our Conservation Tribe, then make sure to hit subscribe and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back Conservation Warriors. Today we are joined by Leif Cox, a world-renowned orangutan expert with over 30 years experience working with orangutans. He's also the founder and president of the Orangutan Project, International Elephant Project and International Tiger Project. Leif, thanks for coming on the show. Great to be here, mate. It's good to have you back again. You're officially the first return guest, which is kind of like a fun podcast milestone for me. So cheers, (laughs) cheers for being that person. We chatted for the first time back in February, I believe, and a lot has happened since then, obviously, with COVID-19. And when people think of COVID-19, normally they go towards the human impact, you know, how this is affecting us from a health perspective, an economic perspective. But I'm intrigued as to how this is actually affecting people like you who are doing, running an NGO uh, and doing conservation work. So from your perspective, from what you've seen over the past few months, how has COVID-19 affected the work, the conservation work that you're doing at the Orangutan Project? Uh, there's, there's three types of effect. The, the first one is the lack of funds is a major thing stopping us from doing more. And so unfortunately, with you know, so many people losing their jobs and, and, and economic uncertainty, you know, we've taken a hit um, in the funds coming in and therefore that, that's going to directly feed onto our project. The second aspect is the lockdown has opened up the opportunity for low-level opportunistics to increase their poaching, increase illegal logging, increase illegal land grabbing. So at the same time as as funds are going down, the needs are going up. The third bit is, I guess, is potentially the most worrying, is yeah, a lot of progressives are, are, are talking about a new green deal, you know, um, and using the pandemic to jumpstart a, a new economy based on sustainability and, and fairness and equity. However, it does appear many governments are seeking the opportunity to double down on the old exploitative practices of concentrating wealth and um, making money at the expense of future generations. So you see, you know, doubling down on gas projects and you know, and increasing the um, transfer of income from the middle class and the poor to the wealthy. And of course, that then obviously makes things worse <laughs> rather than, than better. So we have the short, medium and long-term um, impacts of a crisis that we're trying to deal with. Interesting. So for me, I would have assumed that from that government level, that this would have forced governments to not double down on these old school kind of strategies. But you're saying that some of them are somehow mm. twisting this plot to double down on these these older mm. strategies. 
Yeah, you know, it, it, exactly. And we're seeing, you know, both in Australia, as an example, where I'm, I'm at the moment, and then Indonesia, developing new laws and policies and procedures, which will actually reduce um, the protection of the environment. And so it, yeah, it's ironic that, you know, that even when you have things like catastrophic bushfires, total evidence about climate change and things like COVID-19, which is a direct effect of our neglect of the environment, you think these would be extreme wake-up calls. So even the most hardened you know, conservative would move to a, a new way of thinking. But it doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be unfortunate the human condition is, is deny, 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 and ha- you allow your cognitive dissidents to always continue in the paradigm which gives you short-term benefit. Mm. So is it like a combination of just not acknowledging that this is an issue and perhaps like the argument could be, you know, these old strategies that we've used, we know how they work. So it's potentially in the, over the short term, at least, like it's a safer mm-hmm. option from like an economic point of view. Is that, I'm just trying to wrap my head around what the mm-hmm. argument yeah, could be. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think it's what happens is, and this happens in, you know, whether you're progressive, left wing, right wing, or, you know, an armed conservative, people get into these thought bubbles. You know, and their tribe and they self feed on each other. And so when they get up and make policies, which from an economist point of view or a scientific point of view are absolutely absurd, they don't see it that way. You know, they, they, they see they're doing the right thing, you know. And of course, there's an other element to it is we can fool ourselves really easy. So when our self interests, you know, when the funders, the people paying the political parties mm-hmm. want something, you know, it's it's very easy for the human brain to then rationalize that's the best way forward, you know, mm. um, because ultimately, you know, everyone believes they're doing the right thing. Everyone believes, you know, they're on the side of the, of, you know, the right. Every Nazi who was fighting to the last in Berlin believes that, you know, they're on the right side of history. Although, you know, demonstrably, you know, they were the bad guys. But it, ironically, you know, they, that's not the way most of them sort of thought about it. And so, and we're similarly here, you know, the people destroying the environment, not because they're ultimately cynical and <laughs> and just want to make them quick buck. They actually rationalize that in, in their own minds. Yeah. And that, that is a real thing. Like a lot of these negative um, actions that perhaps some people do or some groups of people do, it's not necessarily irrational. There is a logic mm-hmm. there um, that makes sense which mm. just complicates the whole bigger picture <laughs> to be honest yeah no it, it, exactly and we should and you know we need to address these issues and and address these negative outcomes whatever but we shouldn't attack the people because mm-hmm. you know they're, they're no worse in, intelligently and no worse you know um mentally as, as any other person you know because we're all capable mm. of, of, of these sorts of paradigms so yeah. We've got, we've got to order approach it with compassion. Yeah, definitely. Compassion is key. And we, we spoke about that in depth in our previous one. But yeah, just acknowledging these unique circumstances, uh, that's everyone is unique in their circumstance. And when there is a conflict of interest, perhaps we need to approach that discussion with compassion. Um, so we, we're dealing with COVID-19 at the moment, which is affecting everyone, as mentioned. And um, we just touched on climate change as well, which is a very macro problem. And it's it's so big that like every every person really has has a role to play in helping to mitigate this problem from the perspective of say the individual to a family 
to a company, an organization, to a government, like at every level, there is a part to play. Mm -hmm. So from your end, what are some of the work that you're doing at the Rangitan Project to try and help mitigate and combat climate change and even future pandemics? Yeah. Well, the lowest hanging fruit and the most cost-effective thing to do is to save rainforest and restore those ecosystems. And that's the best thing we can do for climate change, the best thing we can do to help prevent pandemics. What we're trying to do is within the next 10 years, we've got climate change, the same issue, and save the orangutans and viable ecosystems. We've got 10 years to do that. And so those parallels are, are not without coincidence. And so what we're doing, we're, we're piecing together with, with our partners, the protection securing of eight complete ecosystems with the right type, shape inside the forest. But look, the great thing is, is it's, it's also is we're doing now is developing the sustainable economies within those ecosystems where we actually make a lot of money for the local communities. And therefore, in the next 10 years, we hope to not only leave these viable ecosystems for the orangutans and future generations, but we also hope to pass them on as not only sustainable environmentally, but sustainable economically. And um, this will then give us the, the, I guess, the basic infrastructure for growth to a better new world. You know, as people understand things like polyculture and moving away from unsustainable monocultures, you know, such as anything from wheat to palm oil, it's all unsustainable and it's all exploitative, it destroys the soil, it creates global warming. But increasingly, people understand it's not environment versus economy. It's sensible you know, and um, economical to undertake these practices. The only thing it does, it actually creates more wealth, but the wealth is concentrated lower. The farmers and local people get wealthier. And so it's about breaking the business model that the people in charge are, are still grappling to keep exploiting, destroying the environment to extract wealth up. But we can actually get more wealth if we push that down into these sustainable agricultural systems, which is, the, which is one of the, um, the key things we're doing with local communities. Yeah, interesting. So the changing the model, I guess, and making that wealth distribution a bit more distributed as opposed to disproportionately benefiting the people at the top of the, the, mm -hmm. the chain. Um, yeah, jungle economies is a concept um, that I'm quite interested in, this idea of yeah, like environment versus the economy. I think that it shouldn't be that case. There is a way to harmonize the two. But one thing that I struggle to wrap my head around is some actual real-world examples of, of how a jungle economy would work. Like what are some of the services or products or, or something oh, that sure. exists within that jungle economy? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. First of all, we, we got to take into account environmental services that rainforest provides. It provides flood mitigation. It provides regular water supply, which stops droughts. It lowers the temperatures. It provides the predators, which destroy the pet species. All those things it provides the natural services for. And th they have value because somebody is now, you know, extracting, you know, their living from those services being provided to them in the particular agriculture. Then we can home down and go, well, what goods and services we can get out of the rainforest sustainably? And with our partners, um, we've developed, for example, a jungle honey business where they're um, sustainably harvesting the sea lang honey um, from these bees and bringing it to market. And again, it, it's very labor intense and it's opposite of polyculture. It's a diverse thing. We have um, 
help build rebuild a kitchen for the women in the village. And they're going out collecting these edible food substances, using these recipes to produce these food recipes and selling it to market. We also started the first trial with our partners to develop um, vanilla plantations. Vanilla is a vine that grows under a canopy, a shade canopy. So it grows under the rainforest. And so within um, what we believe, and that takes seven years. So actually what we're doing now, we're feeding the children. The children were malnourished because the big multinationals are taking all the land and the communities uh, either in the face with the idea of having to destroy their remaining land for short-term gain or you know, suffer calorie deficits and, and lack of funds. So we're supporting children's education and we're supporting their food. In the meanwhile, you know, within seven years, we should be able to um, plant, as one example, vanilla vines, and within seven years, get it to production, you know, and um, get get through. Other examples we're exploring now with um, some business partners is bamboo production and shade coffee. And so it's a very eclectic thing. This is why multinationals don't do very well on this. You know, they need the big monocultures. They need to knock things down, earn a lot of money quickly, big numbers, big production. Whether for local community, they don't need that. They can go out and collect vanilla one month, do the honey next month, and do the bamboo collection for the, you know, the bamboo flooring factory that is built down the road. So mm. They can deal with this eclectic nature because that's how they deal with the environment from day one, mm. you know. And they get very wealthy from this. But it's very hard for businesses to come through and control all this. It, it, the, the, the economy becomes democratized. You know, and, and so the people actually, you know, um, running the business are the small guys, you know, and, and they do really well out of this. And actually, some of the models are showing we're actually making more money per hectare in the end from a, a bit of rainforest than destroying it for an unstable monoculture. So it's such a win-win for the, cause the wider economy is going to benefit from the more wealth that we can create from sustainable economies. Interesting. So when you when you compare the jun- jungle economy to, say, a monoculture um, system, say palm oil, for example, you, you said at the end there that per hectare, sometimes there's examples where you earn more money per hectare in the jungle economy version. In the end, what's that time scale of in the end? Is that like over what window of time is that? Like a 10 years. We, 10 we, years. we, we, we believe we can, yeah. Um, because a lot of these products that say um, vanilla or that there's this dye called dragon's blood, which mm. again is a vine that grows under. Um, all these things to develop them to level the bamboo production, we, you need some lag time, you know, mm. to plant it and, and develop it. And you, let's say, let's say fruiting trees, durian trees, these sorts of things, they need some time to mature. So we believe in 10 years, you know, if we if we get the financial support to set up these economies you know, and, and set up the production, that within 10 years, they will be self-supported. The community will be rich and prosperous. The kids will be educated and there'll be enough money, not enough to make the huge profits that a multinational decides, but enough money to for us to fund the roads going in there and security and the wildlife protection units and all the things we need to secure the wildlife. And of course, the wildlife are contributing. They're, without the wildlife, the soil is not sustainable. You're not getting that reuse of the soil and that sort of thing. You're not getting the, the pest predators being kept under control. So wildlife actually becomes an integral economic asset you mm. know, to, to maintain these things. Again, it's all about these win-win situations if we allow them to happen.
Mm. It's like this big interconnected, like symbiotic system where each each player in the game is benefited like mutually. Yeah, I imagine that would be a challenge though, is the you're really convincing people of that long term benefit in in going down this route. Yeah, with the the jungle economies. If yeah. the short term profit is mm-hmm. the key variable, then the monoculture in a lot of ways perhaps would be appealing, but then that isn't necessarily a sustainable model and it's kind of shifting, exactly. approaching it from different different time scales. Exactly. The the greedy few seek to um, shrink profits from the long term to the short term, from the many to the few. So it's not about these unsustainable monocultures and fossil fuels and you know these sorts of things being actually good economically. They don't make economic sense. They're economic disasters. Mm. But they're just good at concentrating wealth and time and and into a smaller group. Mm. And and so that's why I call it democratizing an, an economy. And of course, as we know, let's say with the pandemic, if you give money to the poor. They spend it because they have to spend it, and that generates income. It's it, well-paid consumers that drive an economy, but of course, the you know governments because they're funded by the rich uh, often do the rest. They say, well, let's support biz- big businesses, let's support the wealthy, and this you know this the, um, the the fraudulent trickle-down economics, which we, we know don't work. I mean, every economist knows mm. it doesn't work. You know? mm. <laughs> but but if you are uh, you know being favoured by such a system, you will make yourself believe that that's the way to go. And, and of course, we end up, instead of actually making the economy stronger, we make it weaker, as we see. That's yeah. why you have every 10 years or so economic collapse, you know, and yeah. you have to use public money to bail out um, private institutions because it's unsustainable. It's unsustainable not only environmentally, it's unsustainable economically. And that's yeah. why it needs to be bailed out every 10 years. Yeah, that, that's an important point. That's a, a, an important point, at least in my mind, is differentiating something that is good for the economy and something that is just like short-term high profit. Like mm-hmm. just because something is making a, a lot of money over the short term doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for the economy because if that is good money over the short term but isn't sustainable and it potentially is going to compromise future systems such as the jungle economy, then it isn't mm-hmm. it isn't good for the economy when you play it out over mm. time. So, yeah, that's probably an important thing, at least in terms of how I think. Um, we talked about the monocultures and them being unsustainable, but if for those that don't know what a monoculture is, could you quickly just define what that mm. is and perhaps why that isn't uh, mm. sustainable? A monoculture is is is, is you know, mono one and culture is you know is is it so let's say you have one tree like a palm oil you know palm oil plant for you know or one or pot paper or acacia or wheat just wheat and that sort of stuff and what happens is because there's no now cycle you know and there's no plants doing different jobs within in mm-hmm. the environment so basically you just drain the soil of nutrients and then you know and then until the soil dies you can you can prop it up for a while by putting fertilizer on but then you're destroying some environment to get the fertilizer in. You're pushing <laughs> the, the problem just down washes, the line washes, a bit. <laughs> exactly. And then the, that fertilizer washes off and causes eutrophication and destroys streams, etc. Yeah. So, you know, but there's a lot of money in supplying fertilizer and chemicals and, and sprays and everything to keep these monocultures going. And, and the economic system is set up for that. So they mm-hmm. fight. But mm-hmm. a, 
A polyculture is when you have all different plants feeding, some are nutri putting nutrients in soil, some are extracting it out so you can sell it. And then there's, you know, then animals are regenerating. And so what you see with these polycultures, the soil actually gets richer and better and starts extracting down the carbon and actually become carbon um, sinks. And so you, you, you save the, 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 from global warming um, and the soils regenerate so it becomes sustainable, which is the opposite, let's say, a palm oil plantation. It not only just sets off all this carbon in the atmosphere when it's destroyed, it's every year it's, it's knocking off carbon. So mm. as it's displacing the soil, it's putting more carbon dioxide in the soil each year, continually contributing to global warming you know, until the soil is exhausted and leaves this desert wasteland. And then, you know, what sort of economy can you get from a dead earth? I mean, that's kind of the, the, the madness of, of it. And, you know, it's not, again, it's not the people's fault. As a tribal people, we never had to think long term. Hmm. You know what I mean? We're not, our brains are not set up for that, to imagine that. Ironically, um, women tend to think more long term and more socially, hmm. naturally, because the brains are set up different to, to men. And so perhaps we need more women leaders in the world. I think, yeah, no, we, we, we can certainly mitigate, you know, a great deal of really dumb decision making you know, by having a lot more women in boardrooms because they naturally intuitively understand things like long term conservation and, and, and social health adding to the bottom line where the you know, men are more, you know, as a hunter mm. rather than a gatherer, are short term quick scores, mm. you know, so it, it, it's um this lack of balance of feminine and masculine powers is also at the problem. And this is why often conservation, we spend a lot of time supporting women in conservation. Interesting. Yeah. The, so you, you mentioned women being kind of long-term th uh, thinkers and that being a, a good thing. Um, also, I find personally, I don't know the science behind this, but they tend to be, have more like emotional intelligence, right? They've, mm -hmm. They're more in tune with, you know, compassion, empathy, and all these sorts of values, which makes sense. Like if you rewind a bit, like um, if a hunter, a male hunter that was hunting something, mm. if they were super empathetic or compassionate, perhaps they would <laughs> wouldn't want to hunt that thing necessarily. So, but in today's setting, these values, we need more of these values to influence these rules, laws, regulations, all these things that trickle down and affect so many different people. Yeah, I think we naturally do better in matriarchal societies. We see this in hunter-gatherers doing a lot better when it's a matriarchal society. So, so women hold mm. the... the hold the land and the connection and we adapt to the environment primarily through culture and that's through the female line because we can't have um, women dying at great rates because the species go extinct really quickly but we can have men dying quite a lot of time and we don't it doesn't affect the survival of the species so you have natural selection working on the men we're out there doing crazy stuff you know <laughs> creating great risk and that sort of stuff you know proving our great genes you know and while we're dying and getting injured out, you know, and the women need to be safe and secure and making sure the society and culture continues. And those are our two roles, you know, and that's why, you know, we love extreme sports and, you know, and, and, you know, and those sorts of things is because that's the way we're set up. But when males become form coalitions to dominate and destroy female power, that's when things went awry, you know, after the agricultural revolution. And um, yeah, we're, and therefore we've been on a short term destructive kind of path because there's been no tribal women to pull us up and go wait a minute guys <laughs> seems like a good idea but let's bounce some of those you know some of the good ideas with you know with with some sustainable models here hmm. 
yeah, we're starting to see probably a bit of the, the consequences of not getting that balance right. Yeah, and, and, and again, it's not to say men are horrible yeah, and yeah. evil <laughs> and women are all good. That's not the case, but it, it's, it's a, a balance, balance issue, right? Yeah, it's a balance issue. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a balance issue, not, not a, not a um, value issue or, yeah. or a dominance issue in, in either direction, which, which is going to make us most successful. Yeah, I, I'm on the page on, on that. It's not, you know, male versus female either. It's just I think the issue that we're having at the moment is balance and balance is in everything, right? If, if the balance it, is, exactly. is wrong in anything that we do, there's going to be some issue um, if it's out mm-hmm. of balance. Um, you're, you're speaking at an event coming up shortly in Perth uh, on the 15th of October. Do you want to talk a bit yeah. about that event? I'm at the Pan Pacific Hotel in um, in Adelaide Terrace, and you know, you can go onto the, the Ranking Project website and book tickets, or go through Everbright and book tickets. And we're going, it's going to be a great night with obviously vegan food, and um, I'm going to take people through, you know, um, the what we're doing to actually turn the situation around and, and make a better planet, which is going to benefit all of us, you know, in the ways we're talking about. And then the project manager, Kylie Bulo, will be then taking people on a more personal journey about the individual stories of orangutans and, and other animals we're helping through the extinction crisis. So, it, you know, there's a little bit of food for the mind and, mm. and a lot of food for the heart. And um, I like so I, I think, you know, everybody will um, enjoy the, the evening. Yeah, I'll, I'll include that event link in, on social media and in the podcast notes. But what you said, food for the mind and food for the heart. I love that because you need both. I, th- I think sometimes we, think so. our diet maybe consists of too much of one or the other, but not necessarily mm-hmm. a combination of both maybe. Yeah, no, no, exactly. We have to, we're not going to save the world or care about others unless we have that compassion and love within our hearts. Mm. Um, but as I always say, indiscriminate charity causes more problems than it solves. Then we have to have the intelligence to um act in a way which is meaningful so i call the two wings of the bird you know the heart and head and um and and then we get very powerful outcomes coming back to that balance okay so you're going to be talking about the from like a more macro point of view Mm -hmm. uh, and then kylie is going to share some some more individual exactly I wish I was in Perth because I'm from Perth, but oh, I'm from New Zealand, but I grew up in Perth a lot, but not, I won't be there for this event. Okay. How can people connect with you online and, and help support the Orangutan Project and learn more about your work? Mm-hmm. Well, we'd love everybody to become a, a supporter giving us donations and stuff so we can make it the meaningful change in the world that you know we're seeking because we have to collectivize. As individuals, we're not very powerful. We're very powerful when we collectivize. So, Please, you know, if you can join us in that collectivization, and um, I have um, my own um, Facebook page where I, I post articles to keep people informed and do weekly videos on on different subjects of, of interest. You know, uh, and touching on some of the things that we may be talking about now. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, get get connected, get involved, and and see that you know if you collectivize with like-minded people, we can achieve something. You know, we, there's We've got a ten-year window of hope, so let's let's not sit on our hands. Let, let's let's get this get this done. Hundred percent collectivized ten-year window. We've got a lot of work to do. It'll help solving this problem if we do this together. Okay, final message, final question, rather. What message do you want to leave the conservation tribe? That what we're doing is going to benefit everybody. 
and it's a you know expression of love in an intelligent way you know and we can do it and yeah as i said let's let's get on and make this happen it's certainly possible because i feel there's so many people losing hope because you know it's become overwhelming and um that's what the people destroying the planet are looking for you know destruction of hope you know and, and sitting in our little silos but okay we, we can't get out as much and you know as, as we can um but we can collectivize we can join the in communities and social media and organizations such as rangatang project and continue the meaningful change that we hope to see Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please feel free to subscribe. And if you want to be an extra legend, then please also leave a review. It really does help grow the channel. Thanks again, and I will see you in the next episode.